Welcome to Where We Land, a podcast that explores the relationship between Christ culture and the church. Hey guys, my name is Aaron, and today I'm joined here in the studio with Morgan. What's up, guys? And Stephen. Good afternoon. Hey guys, you have joined us for an episode of Where We Land, and today we're going to have a conversation about Black Lives Matter. And so we hope you join us for the whole conversation today. We're back in the studio again this morning, and I see everybody has a coffee cup except for Steven. Yeah, Ooh. so about that. Um, so I don't I don't think I've actually even mentioned this. No, because um, Morgan and I are massive. Well, I should yeah. say I'm a big coffee drinker. Yeah, I don't think anyone compares I, to how much coffee <laughs> you drink, Aaron. I used to be, though. I used to drink a cup every morning. So I don't think I've talked about this at all on the podcast, so... I got like 30 seconds to do it. Yeah, give us a... Um, so back in the fall, I started having some heart issues and had to go to the doctor, blah, blah, blah. I was supposed to have surgery in December, and that did not happen for numerous reasons, which we do not have time to discuss, or do we have the patience to? And um, so I... I didn't mean to bring up a sore subject when I said coffee. I mean, I didn't I, I didn't went to do back that. to the doctor, and they put me on extra medication, but they also recommended that I basically cut out as much caffeine as possible. So mm, until I get my surgery, I... Don't really get to have. So basically, has that been hard? Has that been hard? Because you used the to first, drink quite a bit of coffee. I thought the first two weeks were terrible, and I actually realized, like, wow, maybe this is a good thing because <laughs> I had like a serious headache problem, and I was like, okay, maybe I was like way too much into coffee. But now it's good because like I'll just I'll drink a cup here and there. But as far as like drinking it all the time, I don't really. And I do fall asleep a lot easier at night and I'm not as mm. amped up. So, I mean, there's been positives. <laughs> I still want my coffee back, but right. <laughs> there has been right. some positives from it. Because so. now, Morgan, are you a coffee drinker? Well, here's the thing. I have to have, I have a very strict limit of one cup of coffee or one cup of tea a day. Wow. Because very I'm a little, well, I'm just a little <laughs> baby who cannot handle it. Feeble. <laughs> a little feeble. <laughs> a little weak. I'm a lightweight in terms of handling my caffeine. So, uh-huh. yeah. But I was like caffeine free for like a whole year and a half. Cause right. I, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. And yeah. now I'm just back on the caffeine bandwagon. So. Guys, I'm there. I mean, I haven't <laughs> left. <laughs> I have not left. Have I, you ever left? Uh-huh. No. no. You know, like when did I, you start just, drinking coffee? That would be when my I, question. When I, when I was like 11. Really? Ooh, oh, man. Like when I was 11 start. or 12. Like, that's impressive. Yeah, like we, I was a homeschooled kid. And so in the morning, like it was a cup of coffee with creamer. I like, was like a morning routine. And then I started working when I was like 16, 17 and on the way into, you know, the job, grab a Starbucks. Uh, but I think you should disclose and, uh, for our listeners how many cups of I coffee that so you drink a day. <laughs> Truth. Um, you know, I, I'm, it's a work in progress. <laughs> like, would we define it in pots or cups would be my first question. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm a, you know, I, I think I, you know, probably a, po- a pot a day. Um, I mean, my doctor I mean, recently talked like, to me about I, this. She was like, you know, you really need to think about more like a cup or two a morning. And I was like, okay, okay. And I have, I've tried to, I, I, I mean, I have worked back from it. And the thing is like, for me, I love coffee for the taste of it mm. and the yeah. smell of oh. it. 
And like, I'm sure the caffeine has to play a factor in that somewhere. (laughs) But I do like, the thing is, I just don't drink it in the morning. Like I'll drink it in the afternoon. Like night? It's like a, I feel like a hobbit, you know, with like the the breakfast, like that's my coffee. Aaron has like eight different coffee times a day. It is. It is very true like that. There's the morning, there's the mid morning, the lunch, the after lunch. It's the true. Dinner oh, and so then like funny. the evening cup, you know, and it's uh, it's true though that the taste is uh, like yeah. I think that that's probably the number one thing I miss because yeah I've been drinking so decaf different. and I'm sorry but decaf just does not have the same taste mm-hmm. or normally unless it's like a special blend and I'm not willing to spend that much money on the special blend to get the taste so I think that you ha- you do have something there the taste is probably something that is but I am I am working back from it like I'm, I'm working back from the sugar I put in it and from the amount of coffee that I'm drinking proud of so. you, Aaron. but I am caffeinated this morning and we are ready for uh, this episode that to be honest is a very very complex topic you know I feel like um, it, when we even begin to have a talk conversation on Black Lives Matter or even talking about the things that have happened in the nation over the last few years. I mean, it is such a complex issue. And like Morgan talked about last week, so many people live in the soundbite um, world where, you know, you, you hear a statement and you're either for or against it. And, but people don't take the time to really unpack what, what, what is behind uh, that movement, what is behind that statement. And um, so today we're going to just kind of begin having a conversation on, and about uh, Black Lives Matter. And I think before we can even jump into the conversation, I think we needed to set the stage for uh, where a lot of this uh, came out of. And I think, you know, because there might be some people that are just out of touch with what's happening in the world today. I, I don't think there's probably many, but, you know, there's might be somebody who's listening that is just out of touch with where this movement came from. And then I think um, even, you know, just having it in our archives, the people who might come back and listen to it uh, a while from now. You know, they may not be as familiar with where uh, the situation was. So, Morgan, if you could just kind of give us a summary, at least from, you know, last year with what happened with George Floyd and kind of what led to uh, a lot of the things in the movement of Black Lives Matter today. Yeah, so uh, George Floyd was a 46-year-old man who was arrested after a convenience store reported him trying to pay with a counterfeit bill. This was on May 25th, 2020. Um, and the officers who responded, they, um, it, it said, I'm reading from a New York Times article, and it said within 17 minutes after the first squad car arriving, Mr. Floyd was unconscious and pinned beneath three officers showing no signs of life. Um, so the really, I mean, there was a video of, I'm, there wasn't just a video, there were multiple videos. Because there were multiple bystanders. Multiple bystanders. They were around when this was happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were four officers so the, on top of them. Yeah, the officers claimed that he was resisting arrest. So uh, one officer, um, his name was uh, Derek Chauvin. Um, he ended up with his knee on George Floyd's neck, and it was long enough to render him unconscious, and eventually he succumbed to that and he died. And the police department said none of what was done was protocol. It was just very bad police work. And um, it was a murder. I mean, I mean, you, it was you a have murder, to say that you have to down. look at the coroner's report. And the report came back that he died of um, asphyxiation. Ex- I can't say the word. Thank you. And um, my caffeine's not as good as it should be this morning. Um, but he died of it of that mm-hmm. and for which about, is murder which is and for over eight minutes i think it was almost eight minutes, nine eight almost minutes nine and, minutes yeah. that the guy sat on his back and pushed on his neck 
And even in the middle of all this, like there were bystanders who were telling them to get off. Mm -hmm. Even George Floyd, a number of times, said that he couldn't breathe. And I think the outrage came from it where people began having this conversation and, and saying, why in the world do you feel like you have to restrain a man who's no longer conscious? I mean, right. Um, and then, so, you know, it was just this heinous thing that happened and, um, and it went viral. I mean, right. within, within moments, the entire country saw what happened and people around the world and just how horrific to watch someone be killed mm-hmm. almost live. It was right. almost a live feed. And, and like, if, if you saw that, if you have, if you have the Lord, <laughs> a relationship with the Lord and the Holy Spirit in your heart. That should have caused you to empathize with that situation because you can't watch that and not see something wrong with the situation. I mean, there. I think people yeah. were grieved and just you can't undone. Like I know people it was just, just were at a loss for words of what mm-hmm. to say. And so, like in response to that, uh, Stephen, what are some of the things that have happened in the nation then since then? I mean, well, I mean, it's been a year. Um, it's been a year. Um, it, 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 like you said earlier, it's so complex <laughs> because the timing of everything was just like wild as well. It was along with COVID and quarantine in the middle and all of the quarantine that. It was and the just, lockdown. So. It was it was a lot of different complex issues at work. So we don't have time to explore all the complex issues behind everything. But over the past year, there's definitely been um, protests. Some mass peaceful, protests. Um, yeah. some quite a, not quite peaceful. peaceful. And, and then, you're right, you're right. Yeah. They're mass. And again, even the protests, the rioting, the looting that happened in wake of all that, there was such complex issues there that when you start looking at it, there's even a complexity of underlying underlying fabric there because who were the people who were looting? Who were the people that were rioting? Who were the people that started the protest? But you know what I'm saying? Like, with any crowd, there's always radicals that don't exactly. speak for the entire group. Exactly. I mean, you can see that in any movement, right? So but that did happen in right. wake of that. And then even over um, this past year, the the real divide that has happened, I believe, in America of you're either for us or against us on both different sides of the issues, um, whether it be in wake of the George Floyd murder murder and uh, Black Lives Matter, or even in like the political realm that happened within wake because statements were made that were either insensitive or not not great at the time, you know, that caused even more problems. And I think you just see a, um, a lot of hurt and a lot of pain that was worked out maybe in not the correct ways in some instances. In some instances, maybe yes, but in some instances, I definitely think you could look and say that probably was not right, the reaction that happened there, you know? And uh, there might be complex issues underneath, but there's been both good and bad that has resulted in the wake of everything. I yeah, believe. and I think the the incident that happened there with George Floyd um, really reignited the movement that started actually back uh, in July of 2013, It came out of a hashtag, a Black Lives Matter, in response to the acquittal of George Zimmerman uh, in the shooting of the uh, black teenager uh, Trayvon Martin. And so what happened was last year with the murder of George Floyd, the whole movement of Black Lives Matter uh, really just gained momentum. The hashtag just surged on Twitter. I came across a statistic this week that had something like 30 million tweets Mm -hmm. use the hashtag after the acquittal of George Zimmerman. 
And then last year, right after uh, the murder of George Floyd, there were the hashtag surged on Twitter over a hundred million. I mean, it was oh my it was this un, I mean, it was it was to the point where it had never had something that of of a magnitude on Twitter. Um, and so the rally cry behind the whole movement is this statement that Black Lives Matter. And behind that, it means something. Um, I think when people say Black Lives Matter, uh, and those who who say it, they're 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 not insulting the lives of other people or even other cultures. It's it's this demand for justice. It's this. It's what you were saying, Stephen. It's the it's this demand to see things changed uh, in America be because of uh, just kind of this whether it's social justice reform, but I think it's also the issues that have happened over the last number of years, I don't think has really shown, I, I think, I think what it's done is it's shown that racism is prevalent in America. And whereas it may not have always been as easy to see now because of social media and because of technology, I think it's become more prevalent to be able to see kind of the racism that the prejudiced, even the word racism is just a loaded term right now. Mm-hmm. So I'll use the word prejudice. I mean, the prejudice in our country, uh, in, in some sense, has has not uh, gone away even after uh, the the whole civil rights movement. Yeah, I think you see it. I think I think you see it definitely in individuals magnified because of social media. I think you're absolutely mm-hmm. correct because I, I do believe. Um, and we kind of discussed this last week a little bit on our um, episode on critical race theory, but I, I do believe that to state instantly that the entire country full of people are racist or prejudiced, I think is a very, that's, you can't make that statement and logically back it up. But the, but the thing is the people who are racist, the people who are prejudiced, they have a platform like any none other that's ever been more so due to technology that's never been had. And also, even if they didn't seek that platform, they still have it because the people that are against them propagate what they have. And so there is this, there is this, this prejudice that's on view for everyone due to social media, because, Hey, if this dude said this, we'll throw it on social media and, you know, and let the world know that this person believes this, you know, mm-hmm. and there has been that, um, I think you can. I, I definitely think you're onto something there. You can track that with the social media movement. Yeah, and I think um, you know, just going back to the meaning of and the and the heart behind saying Black Lives Matter. You really there's a lot of accompany. A, oh man, now I can't See, talk. Uh, accompany. Need more caffeine. Accompaniment. Accompanying. Uh, thank you. Accompanying. Yeah, that's what I was looking <laughs> for. More things oh man, I was getting all tangled. But all these other hashtags that have come along to really show like the the desire and the heart cry for justice. Like yeah, that's what's the at one the heart I, of that. The one I most think of is say their names. You know, mm. when any any time like so many of these cases have sort of come to light. I think mm. of Brianna Taylor yeah. is the other one. I mean, her case um has I think exploded just as much as George Floyd's, you know, Certainly. so the, mm-hmm. the accompanying things like, Oh, there I said it, um, of, uh, say their names along with black lives matter. It really shows like that strong, strong push for justice, which is what that statement's trying to say. It's, it's not trying to insult other people. It's, it's, it's a demand for justice within the black community. Mm-hmm. And yet, um, what was happening was in response to people saying black lives matter. You saw some people, you know, throwing up a different slogan and saying, well, all lives matter. And, and, and then even people within Black Lives Matter or those advocating it kind of reframed it. And mm-hmm. I think that was real helpful the way they did because they say they, – they said something like, well, all lives won't, 
all lives won't matter till black lives matter. Well, and actually, I believe it was no lives matter until black lives matter. Um, well, there's a couple variations yeah, of it, it but I think I think there's so much to be said about there's so much connotation. You're with anything you say, there's always something you're not saying. And sometimes people lean too hard into what they're not saying instead of listening to what people are actually saying. Does that mm, make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, because it's I, true. I definitely see it in that in that statement of instantly even myself when I hear all lives won't matter until black lives matter, I think that doesn't sound like it logically makes sense because all lives should matter. However, I think what they're trying to get at is the demand for justice and cry for justice. And they word it very strongly, I believe, to make a point. But I think some of the points that might be made without stating further can sometimes give people ammunition to really just go off the rails or go and you know what I'm saying? Well, and I know it's impossible to, to disconnect a phrase from a movement that it represents. However, I think we need to just talk about the statement and the meaning of, you know, black lives matter and affirm mm -hmm. that they do. Yeah. Um, why, why is it important to acknowledge that black lives matter and to acknowledge the pain that people have experienced, uh, that, that real emotional, real pain to seek real justice. I mean, why, Morgan, why is it important to lament with people mm -hmm. uh, who feel that way? Well, I mean, I can respond as a Christian and a follower of Jesus who has, you know, the Holy Spirit living inside of us, um, that we are, the Lord gives us empathy and compassion. And he says in Romans 12 to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep and to see human suffering and suffering to such a degree that has this level of evil underneath it to not lament and to feel and empathize the pain that other people are feeling. Even if you truly can't understand the situation, acknowledging and just saying like that is terrible and that is wicked and horrible and that should never ever happen and of course black lives matter because you know the same god who created me created you and um to to go without acknowledging pain is is really dismissive and you know that that diminishes their experiences and their life and all of the hardships that they have faced yeah i mean to not enter into that and to you know sit across from somebody who is just pouring out their mm -hmm. experience of how they feel and the real pain that's there and, and, and to not acknowledge that, like you say, is, is to dismiss it. It's like a, it's it, like a slap in the face. Like you're, is. you're not willing to enter into even how they perceive this to be or how they feel of, of, of what's happened. Um, I found it interesting. Did, did, uh, did, uh, did either of you watch the video from Matt Chandler? I did not. Mm -mm. He had a video on black lives matter. And I really thought a couple things that he said were really, really good. Uh, he, he made this statement, and I'm just going to kind of quote from him. He said, in a very real way, the church led the charge in the civil rights movement. However, the church today, by and large, has refused to participate. So we have turned over what is our inheritance to dark ideologies. We're not going to get involved. Let's just preach the gospel to that. That's what people say. That's what Matt was saying. Mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot of people today that don't want to lift a finger to get involved. They just want to preach the gospel to it. And Matt's like, that's so hypocritical. You can't point out the flaws in this current movement while you've abandoned the place that we, he's talking about the church, were meant to play. He's like, you can't ignore the sorrow and lament 
of 12 to 13 million image bearers in our country. And I, and I heard what he said and I was like, man, that's good. Because that's so like good. The, the problem is, you know, people, when they start hearing Black Lives Matter, they want to instantly throw up all of the problems with the movement. They want to point to things. And Matt's like, look, before you do any of that, you, 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 you can't. You, if, if you want to start pointing out all of those things, then you've abandoned the place that you as the church were meant to play. Like he, he's showing that, you know, in history, like when you think about what was happening, um, you know, in the slave trade in England or, or things that were happening in the civil rights movement, so much of that was, was let out, was charged by mm-hmm. the church, you know, being an agent to see justice done. And mm-hmm. he's like, what happens is if, if you, dismiss all of it as some, you know, dark ideology and I'm not going to get involved and what people really need is just the gospel, but you're not willing to get involved in the mess of the movement. And he's like, then you abandon the place that the church was meant to play. What do you all think about that statement? I mean, I think once again, like Matt Chandler just hit it on the head and as Christians, we should be the most equipped to be the best, you know, the the best agent of change and the people who can be the most empathetic Hmm. for situations like this and the people who care the most. So it's so, it it is such a, it's a hard thing to deal with when we're like, this is the church's place in society to be the agent that brings true justice and, um, and a justice that does not come from ourselves. Um, and that is better than the systems of justice that we even have, you know, in our society. And so it's just, well, he even used an example. He's like, you wouldn't use the same thing in talking about, you know, uh, human sex trafficking. Like, you wouldn't you wouldn't say, oh, I'm not willing to get in the mess and we're just going to preach the gospel. Matt's like, you would lift your fingers. You would get involved in order to see change. And yet it's hypocritical when people are unwilling to do that uh, with what's being, you know, brought to the surface with how people feel about Black Lives Matter. Stephen, what do you think about yeah. what he said? Yeah, no, I, I do like what he says. Um, I, I, I just say, and I think he would affirm this, that it's both and. Um, you do get involved, and the gospel is the ultimate fix. However, you can't preach that it is without getting involved. I think that that's what he's trying to say. Yeah. Um, you ultimately can't share yeah, I, I don't, the gospel I don't want his that... statement to be misunderstood, though, because like, I feel like if you just hear that part of it, you could be like, so the gospel isn't like the ultimate fix for racism, which it is. But what he's saying is, I believe what he's really hitting on is, if you don't let the gospel practically change your life and drive you to action, but you say a lot of good things, you're a hypocrite, which I completely agree. I think too many people say a lot of good things without ever raising a finger. And this was something I was actually convicted of this week and last week as we were studying for some of these episodes as far as just like, now I can stand for truth and I can speak the word and speak the gospel and I can say, say or critique these things biblically and say, well, this doesn't match up or this does line up and all those things. But Am I actually doing anything on a practical level to get down in the midst of everything? And how does my role and responsibility look for that? Because while it's like what we talked about last week, the difference between recognition and then responsibility. And while I might not personally have certain responsibilities of things I've done, I should recognize and I should 
figure out how I can be involved because the gospel should drive me to action. Mm-hmm. And I think that what, what Matt's hitting on is the fact that the gospel just changes us both spiritually, but it also impacts our life right now. Yeah. Like yeah. it makes a difference of our world right now. Well, and, and even, you know, us as Christians, but also the people around us, I think of James too, where James is talking about faith and works. Whenever somebody, you know, tries to land on the side of just preaching the gospel, I think of in verse 15, where he says, if a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? Mm -hmm. And I think what the body needs in this situation is acknowledgement and compassion of a heart in pain. And the way that you do that is so much more than just like the gospel it's more than begins just words. through that, yes, yeah. and I and, and the gospel is action. You know, it is beginning building that relationship of compassion and, you know, caring and caring for the needs, and then eventually the gospel does go into that um, as far as the message of it. But it starts with our actions first. It should. And that's so good. So, but let me ask you this this question then, as we kind of segue a bit here, you know, because when you look at the Black Lives Matter movement. It has become very controversial, uh, specifically among people in the Christian community. I mean, I found it interesting uh, over the last couple of weeks as I've been looking over some articles that I found online. It's almost as if the evangelical community is almost split down the center on this issue. I mean, there was just as many articles that I found on why Christians should advocate uh, for Black Lives Matter. And there were also articles that I read that, that talked about, well, why they shouldn't. And so there's this real tension that I feel like Christians feel in particular about Black Lives Matter and and what, what what is that? Why is that? Well, I mean, I think that if you look at it with an open mind, I think you're going to see that people fall on different sides of the issue because of what we've already mentioned. They have a trouble um, being able to say the statement matters but I don't necessarily align myself with the movement. We haven't talked about the movement much. I think we will here in a second. Yeah. But I think the big the big issue and the big tension is people want to affirm black lives do matter. Yes. Uh, why? Of they do. Why? Because li- the lives of humanity belo- belong to God, were created by God, and black lives are just as much image bearers of God's creation, original creation, as much as white image bearers, um, non-white image bearers, people from China, people from Japan, any type of race, skin color, culture, all humanity is image bearers of God. And I think we want to affirm that statement. But then when we start looking at the movement and some of the things that are our complex issues that underlie the statement, I think that there's a tension there and we don't know how to resolve it. That's good. Yeah, it's with that, that uh, the connotation and the things not said th- all the time as you are saying this statement, it does. It just, there's so many attachments now. And I think uh, in l- large part due to the social media and just the massive growth of this movement where it's like, yes, we do affirm black lives matter. They are precious there you, you cannot put that statement worth on a life. is true yeah the statement black lives matter is absolutely true and and people want to affirm the statement but i think what christians have a sometimes challenge with okay well how do i think about black lives matter how do i frame all of this is because i have a hard time sometimes affirming the organization yeah. and as soon as you say the message you connect yourself to the movement whether or not mm-hmm. you want to agree with that or not like 
it's the same tension we were talking about last time on the podcast with critical race theory. Yeah, like, exactly. I feel like with Black Lives Matter, Christians feel like they have two options. Either they come under the whole banner of Black Lives Matter, and which they many times look at and say, well, that looks like cultural Marxism. Or if I don't affirm that, then I'm labeled a racist. Yeah. Well, I think, and that's I think the that's problem. the tension, that the tension that yeah. some people feel. And, and I do think that that's not maybe across the board everything, but there is that generalization even in our culture right now of if you're not for me 100%, you're 100% against me. And mm-hmm. that, that is a generalization that's growing in our culture day by day in every different group. It doesn't matter which yeah. group you're talking about, whether it's Black Lives Matter or a political group or whatever, it's 100% you're 100% allegiance. or you're not. Yeah, And yeah. it's like, that's so, not how that works there, bud. Yeah. <laughs> which I think all of us would agree and affirm that the statement is absolutely true. Black yes. Lives Matter. Yes. Black Lives do matter. And I think we want to look though now and segue a little bit and think about, okay, well, what is the movement behind this? Not just the movement. Because I think there's a lot of people who are in the movement that say Black Lives Matter that probably have no clue the organization behind it and what it actually stands for. And I think there's also people that would probably advocate for the movement and the statement and not actually advocate for what is behind the organization. But Mm -hmm. we need to take a little bit of time and just consider what does the organization stand for? And I think the best way to do that is just to let them tell you. Like we went to their website and let them as an organization tell you on the Black Lives Matter website uh, what they stand for. They DYT very well. They do it for us, which is so nice. I w- and I will say, I like. I think even we were talking about this. I think it was last week or two weeks ago in one of our podcast planning meetings. And I think it's important when you're looking at organizations, people, when you're just talking to people that you disagree with, affirm things about them that they do well or that you agree with. And I think that that's a lost art that we have lost in our culture. We're like, we're just gonna nail them to the wall and cancel them out, hashtag cancel culture. You know, I don't agree with them, so we're canceling them. But when you do disagree with someone, I would encourage our listeners, affirm something that they do well. And I would say this about uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. They do a very good job at putting their message into thoughts and communicating their message. It's Mm -hmm. a grassroots movement. And they have done that. I think that there's things that we could learn from them on how to communicate and how to do that in a better way. Because I will I will say they do a fantastic job of communicating their message. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let me read a statement from their website. I think it's on the front page or uh, on the about section. Uh, they say this. They state, and I quote, we firmly believe our movement which would later become an organization needed to be a contributing voice for black folks and our allies to support changing the material conditions for black people. So by that statement, Morgan, what are they saying? Sorry, I was. I'm sorry. I, did, I just threw it to you. And I, I was like, look, I was, uh, I was looking at some of their other, <laughs> their other section of their Dear about Ned page, Lights. and I was trying to find where you saw that, but that was. It's okay. That don't don't read while somebody else is talking to you. It's a I'm terrible so mistake. Sorry. No, I I didn't. Okay, I just so threw that to her. Can so. you read that again? Yeah, let me say good it again. To hear again. So on their website, this is what they say. I quote: "We firmly believe our movement, which would later become an organization, needed to be a contributing voice for Black folks and our allies support to to support changing the material conditions." for black people. So what are they staying, saying by that statement? Well, they just, you know, they they formed themselves in a way that said, this movement is not just going to be another social thing. We are going to bring actual material change and support to black people and to the allies who support them. 
Yeah. Which brings us into another thing that they say on their website under a heading called Her Story. Uh, I'm going to give a little bit of a lengthy quote, but back in 2013, there were three ladies that uh, organized this movement and um, the whole project called Black Lives Matter. And once again, that was in response to the acquittal of George Zimmerman regarding uh, Trayvon Martin's murder. And Black Lives Matter, this is what they say on their website. They say Black Lives Matter is an ideological and political intervention in a world where black lives are systemically and intentionally targeted for demise. So those are a few words that people may not be as familiar with. It is an ideological and political intervention. What is that, Morgan? So not only is it a new ideology, um, but it is also a new idea of politics and intervention, meaning like this is going to be a key turning point. Um, intervention, meaning like this is this is going to be a keystone for change in a world where Black lives are systemically now. When S- we think about systematically, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry, I'm man, sorry. guys, I cannot read this morning. Systematically <laughs> and intentionally targeted for demise. So, uh, in in Black Lives Matters terms, um, they you know have viewed the landscape as these deaths that keep happening: Trayvon Martin, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd. Like all of these are systematic and intentional targeting of black people by the greater police system. uh, Which would, I would think, even systemic. Like when you think about systemic Mm -hmm. racism, you think about racism that is kind of representative Mm -hmm. of within the country, either by its laws or its representatives. Or its its codes for law enforcement, anything like that. So, yes, systematically. Systemically. It fits. It it does fit. but, Mm -hmm. But it's not the word that they had on their website. Um, And then I continue reading black liberation movements in this country have created room, space and leadership, mostly for black, black, heterosexual, cisgender men, leaving women, queer and transgender people and others either out of the movement or in the background to move the work forward with little or no recognition. As a network, we have always recognized the need to center the leadership of women and queer and trans people. So what are they saying there? Um, You see a lot of inclusivity, whereas lots of civil rights in the past have been focused on the, you know, the mainstream cisgendered black men. Um, They see a lot of people who are also of color and black that have been marginalized, particularly women and those who identify with a different sexuality. Which, if you remember what we talked about last week, you should be seeing a lot of the things that we discussed last week popping up this week. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically intersectionality. Spe- specifically intersectionality, but also much to do with critical race mm-hmm. theory. You'll see a lot of critical race theory and intersectionality practically the lot taking taking what began with those things and taking them to their logical end. Mm-hmm. You'll see them practically working out in the Black Lives Matter movement. I mean, this really is kind of where that theory, both intersectionality and critical race theory, like the rubber meets the road the in black it. lives. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is. So, you know, under the banner of Black Lives Matter, is this undercurrent of an organization that has as its aim 
a few different things. And what are some of those things that those within the Christian community take issue with? Well, I, I think that there's a couple. Um, one would be their view of the family. Yeah. And I was I was looking for it on their website. Did they remove their found, original this was the, statement? Yeah, the statement that was there for a while said in their own words that they're committed to disrupting the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement. That's so, so, yeah, so biblically okay i'm not gonna talk culturally today that's not why 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 i'm here right i'm gonna talk biblically the bible the bible does say that a father and mother are given to the home to guide and protect the home together in unity in a unified marriage that represents the relationship that jesus christ has with his church ephesians uh five i mean it's pretty straightforward okay yeah that would be one big problem that many Christians would have because to just say, well, it's a Western prescribed family, nuclear family is Western prescribed. Well, actually, if we're going to go back to the Bible, it's actually Eastern prescribed. God prescribed. <laughs> it's God prescribed because <laughs> it came from the Middle East from a Jewish rabbi's mouth named Jesus, who was God in the flesh, mm-hmm. you know, and he, he taught that way to his disciples. And then he inspired it through Paul later as Paul wrote the book of Ephesians. And so it is, it's kind of an undercut against the nuclear family structure. So that's a problem. Yeah. And even in what we just read about their intersectionality and inclusion, Inclusivity that they would preach, um, those things. While while I wholeheartedly agree that people should not be marginalized or um, humiliated or objectified or thrown down because they would differ in their beliefs with me. Okay, I would never preach that. However, I would say that there does need to be a freedom to biblically call certain things out and to disagree with those uh, things. And I think that that is an attack against the family. And I don't see any other way to word it. And I think that that would be a, a real tension point with people in the Christian realm. That would be one. And I think another one would probably be at their base. They advocate for a, really an unbiblical view of morality. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, on their own website, would refer to it as queer affirming. Um, in a statement that they, I think, had taken down, but I had here still was... Um, they they stay at one point with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking or rather the, the belief that all in the world are heterosexual unless she slash he or they disclose otherwise. And even in the statement that's on their present website, you know, as to center the leadership of women and queer and trans people. So, I mean, at their base, they're advocating for a different view of morality than what the Bible would teach. Yeah, and it it kind of goes back down to our worldview discussion, right? Where yeah. there these are all interconnected. So if you yeah, haven't gone back and listened to worldview one and two and critical race theory, I, I think you need to do that in order to get a full understanding of how we're framing the conversation. Yeah, today. we have woven a tapestry, and you must listen to all the They're episodes all to see it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it is like their whole morality structure and and their understanding of you know personhood and. Um, like purpose and like all of these things it's totally different it's a shift in the in the worldview but also another thing i think that could it's a i won't say smaller it's more subtle but something that i think the the church like can push up against is 
really in, in their fight for inclusivity, there's a lot of partiality that happens, you know, and, and just because it's built on a Marxist ideology, right? And so yeah. that it's it's prone to domination. As soon as you elevate one group, another group is getting crushed. So right. I think that that is another thing that's it's it's a sticky situation. So yeah. let me ask you a couple of questions. Okay, what are you gonna say? Well, and there is a couple of other areas I think that. Um, there would be some disagreement among. I, I, have you all ever l- listened or watched anything from Hawk Newsom? I don't think so. I'm not um, sure. He's the president of the Greater New York City Black Lives Matter precinct, which would be a very large uh, part of their yeah. network. Because it's a lot I of mean, local chapters. That, it that is, was my understanding. It is. Yeah. But like that, I mean, think I mean, of New, New York, York City. Huge. That's that's a huge chapter. And I watched some of his stuff this week. And by the way, an excellent communicator. Okay, like I will give it to the man. The man is a fantastic communicator. Um, and some of the things he brought out, um, I can empathize with and I can, uh, feel for, but I think some of the, um, things that they would propagate through some of their chapters, even there would be a tension with people, um, who are Christian, who would look at some of the things they say. So for instance, he, in one of his, um, televised interviews, uh, was arguing that Jesus was like the greatest black activist ever because he was black and like he he was going down like all the road of like this and completely ignoring that Jesus was actually a Jew from the Middle East, you know, and he made it sound like Jesus was actually crucified because he was black and because he was fighting for black activism and so on. And it was just some things like that where it was like, okay, man, like, I hear your heart cry and I empathize with some of the things you're bringing out, but I feel like you're doing a disjustice because you're trying to make Jesus a part of your movement and not setting Jesus aside as who he was. Yeah. In history, so you know? let's talk about that for a minute. Cause I think we need to talk about God and his nature and who he is. Cause we, when we, we have to ask the questions, right? Mm-hmm. Does God care about justice? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Like, yes. Does God care about the dignity of human life? Yes, yes. and yes and 100%. yes. Certainly. So when we look at the Bible, we see throughout all of Scripture, woven in different places, we, we, we see descriptions of God and His nature, and that God Himself is greatly concerned for life and justice, when in actual fact, you look at the Bible, and the Bible would affirm that those things are found in Him, mm-hmm. that He is the author of life, that He is the just judge. And so... As a Christian, with God at the center of our world, we should deeply care about seeing justice uh, served and defending life. And, you know, I think about what is our responsibility as a Christian? You know, Morgan, you were talking about to do justice. I mean, we, we go back to Micah 6.8, where God, uh, the, the word says, he has told you, oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you look out on the landscape of our society today, and you ask the question, you have to ask the question, what accounts for all of this uh, non-harmony? I mean, where, where, why is there so much tension in society? And I think we have to give the biblical answer, the, the answer that the Bible gives, and that is, we, well, we've rejected God himself. We've rejected the one in whom we find life and justice. And when we reject God, we, 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 mankind has rejected God. And in doing that, um, they've failed to understand and to affirm that mankind has been created by God and for God, as the book of Colossians teaches. And that yet, because of sin, we've been separated from God 
right? And so in that separation, the world is just bombarded with fear and prejudice. And I think, mm-hmm. really, I believe the, the cruel death of George Floyd, it highlighted in our nation really the fractures in our society that are still very much present regarding Mm -hmm. racial prejudice. And so, you know, we say, well, then what is the answer to racial racial prejudice and to racial discrimination? Well, I I just want to point out, too, that though, you know, the the murder of George Floyd, it, it highlighted the racial fracture. It also called upon a lot of I think there was so much unanimous agreement that that was wrong. And that just went went back to this understanding of, you know, taking a life is wrong. And it, it did. Yes. Yeah. Go ahead. Finish your thought. Finish your thought. No, no. Was that the end of your thought? It wasn't, but. No, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Um, but also, like, um. Oh, no. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, that's I'm so okay. sorry. It sounded like what you got so excited. So say what you no, were no, going to no, say. No, it'll no, come back to me. Anessia and I forgot what you said. But um, do I need to jump in here? <laughs> there, there, was un- there was unity over the fact that, you yes. know, we needed to call that out because that was so wrong. Which is so striking to think about that in light of all of those things, objective morality has resurfaced back yeah. in America that racism is wrong. And, and, it's, and it's, it is. Yeah. And it there's is. This insane, it's absolutely. There's this insane irony that... That everybody who understands yeah. that justice is something to be pursued and equality matters, yeah. they're trying to find it in all the wrong places because it was God's idea. Yeah, but he created it all. It, certainly, and I and that's but that is it's such an irony because when you think about the last number of years in in America about morality, morality was so shifted into well, it's a personal preference is what I think, and it, it, even the statement racism is wrong that people affirm that it is wrong, but it's interesting people don't say well racism is a bad idea. You know, or or my opinion about racism is this: like they make the they make the objective moral yeah. statement that racism is wrong. Because here's the thing: every honest person knows that racism is wrong. Well, it's relativistic objectivism. It's mm. <laughs> a big that was word. We want to be. We want to hold on to our re- we, not me, but our culture wants to hold on to their relativism while being objective, having objective right. truth that affects them. Yeah, and we can't we can't do it. People, that's why there's so much tension right now in our culture and in people, because they want to hold on to their postmodern relativism that it's fine, whatever's good, you do you and I'll do me. But hey, when this happens to me, now this is objective and we're going on a rampage about it. And it's interesting because it highlights the fact that people still do believe in objective truth. And like we talked about in our worldview episode, relativism will fail and it will crumble. Mm-hmm. It is an illogical and impossible worldview yeah. to hold to consistently across the board. Because when we turn to the Bible and we consider the biblical story, the Bible affirms there is one God and there is one reality mm-hmm. and that mankind has been made in his image. Yeah. And because we're made yeah. in the image of God, there is one morality, right? Because morality comes from God himself. I, it's what Paul says. And when Paul was addressing a group of people in his day uh, there in Athens, he makes these statements. And I, I'm, I kind of condensed what he says there in Acts 17. So, But listen to what, what Paul, this is how Paul addressed a group of people in his day. He said, the God who made the world and everything in it made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods of their boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. But, he says, but now he commands all people everywhere 
to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. What Paul is saying there in Acts 17 is that we have been made in the image of God and that all of mankind has been created in God's image. And the Bible says in Acts 17, he's committed every person everywhere to repent because there is a day where God will judge the world. He's mm-hmm. He's the righteous judge. And so when you think about the fact that God is the righteous judge to whom every one of us will give an account, Paul's saying, hey, listen, because of that, you can't say that nothing matters. Everything in life matters. Everything, everything matters. And we're, we don't live in a universe by chance or or, or the sheer random uh, happenstance of how things have come to be. Paul says, "Look, we were designed by a Creator. We were made in His image, and because of that, everything matters. I mean, when 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 we stand before God one day, our life, everything in it matters, and it matters to God because we were created for Him." And for that reason, you say Black Lives Matter. I mean, it it when you think about it that way, in the way that Paul frames that, um, he's he's really showing how our morality is found in God alone. Mm-hmm. So I think I think a question that I would have for you guys that I'm kind of curious where how you all would answer would be I'll, I'll state the question and then I'll give an illustration and then I'll let you guys kind of come up with your answers while I'm cool. giving the illustration. Okay. Um, so we've kind of, you just kind of laid this foundation of biblical justice as God is the judge, us as the subjects and that there will be ultimate justice one day. Right. Mm. And I think that that is foundational to the concept of biblical justice. And we must understand that imperfect world has imperfect justice and we rely on a perfect judge and creator to set right the wrongs that have happened here. But how do we biblically fight for justice as sons and daughters of God? And I'll give the example. Um, I've talked about him quite a bit and um, I don't know. I, I just kind of was drawn into some of the things that he said, but um, the president of the New York uh, chapter of Black Lives Matter um, Hawk News did a news interview, and um, the question was posed to him um, about how they would go about their movement and basically how has the movement sparked violence and not violence. And his response was interesting to me. Um, he He really kind of went back and said, you know, in our past, trace it back to the revolution, our country has always been violent, you know. And he even then went on and said, if you look at the 1960s, you'll see that when black people rioted, um, that's when things got done. And then he made this statement. I don't condone, nor do I condemn rioting. I'm just telling you what I've observed. And I I looked at that and I read some of his other statements that he made. And um, I won't go over the whole interview. There were some things I agreed with in the interview, some things I didn't agree with. Um, But in a sense, he's saying... You know, it's okay to have violence, to react to violence if things happen. It is a lot of that's much of what he was trying to say. So he gave all these, he gave all these, um, things through history where he, and he tried to connect like the revolution of a country and wars to like social matters, which is a hard thing to do. But, um, we're not here to talk about that. But what he said was, in response to all the violence of the civil rights movement and the violence that's been going on from the current day movement, I don't condone, nor do I condemn rioting. 
I'm just telling you what I observed. And if you read some of his other statements, he would tend to this idea of, I'm not going to necessarily push back against rioting as long as it accomplishes a goal that I'm good with. Mm-hmm. So how, how do we, though, as Christians, not, just, not, not necessarily respond to that statement? Because I think that that shows you more of a relativistic worldview of saying, I'm not going to condone it. I'm not going to condemn it. I'm not going to stand against it. I'm not going to support it. I, I'm, yeah. I'm just going to say, if it is accomplishing a goal, it'll work out. So th- how do well, we... Well, I think what it is, it's a perspective Morgan said, but I think it, it at the heart of his statement is how is justice going to be achieved, you know? Mm-hmm. And he's willing to use either of those means if if he sees justice being uh, changed mm-hmm. happening, right? Mm-hmm. I think the question, though, we have to talk about is what is real justice? Because, you know, I think when we think about all of these things about Black Lives Matter, all of these issues are actually far more important and they matter far more than I think what our society sometimes is willing to admit. Mm -hmm. Because when you hear Black Lives Matter and you think about the movement, you have to agree that there is a sincere hurt that just that movement was born out of um, that that there's this real change they want to see and needed change in some aspects of society. But I think ultimately, and this goes back to what we were talking about last week, ultimately what they are advocating for to fix racial prejudice in America, it really falls incredibly short of real mm-hmm. justice. I, um, We all have read an article by Tim Keller. Uh, it's called A Biblical Critique of Secular Justice and Critical Theory. And if you're listening to this, I would encourage you to go read his article. You may not agree with everything that he says, but I think he does a very good job of unpacking kind of the most recent um, views and opinions of how uh, kind of justice is – uh, advocated for and served in our country. Mm-hmm. And he does a, just a great job of, of unpacking that. I just, I mean, Tim Keller's the man on some things. Yes. I mean, uh, I mean, I, I, he just, you know, once again, I don't agree with everything that Tim Keller would say. But he's or so do, but, articulate but when it has, comes to justice and social yeah. justice and racial issues. Yeah. Like, he he incredible. really hit the nail on the head, I think, on this um, article by helping see, you know, kind of understanding the framework of the ideologies behind these things. So the reason I think we want to talk about here is that, you know, Black Lives Matter, it, it ultimately, those who advocate it f- for it, it ultimately falls really short of, of achieving real justice. Because, I mean, justice is, is, is a battle cry that, that you probably hear that word more today than you probably have heard in your lifetime, people talking about justice. But people are so split down the middle on what kind of justice should be achieved. And, and because of that, we've advocated for our own opinions of what mm-hmm. we think, going back to your statement, Stephen, from the quote, you know, people advocate for what they think justice should do or what it should achieve. And we've left behind God. We've forgotten God. And in, in doing so, we have rejected true justice. We've, mm-hmm. we've rejected the righteous judge. And with it, we've rejected the biblical understanding of, of justice. And I think that's where a lot of young people in the church today, like, like they want to get behind causes like this because they want to see things practically, physically good change, good things yeah. change uh, in society because of the gospel. But I think what often happens is many of us are just completely um, ignorant as to what 
justice and biblical justice is all about. I mean, it's it's very complex, and we want to make it so simplistic. Mm-hmm. It's it's so complex, and I. But that's the thing. It comes down to what, like, what do you mean by justice? Right. This whole movement. I mean, just going back to uh, their front. Oops, their front page. Where are all my things? Um, <laughs> they're like up at the top where it says take action. This is on Black Lives Matter. Their very front page. It says join the movement to fight for freedom, liberation, and justice. And, you know, that means something totally different. But what is so great that like as Christians and as in a world where the Lord is the just judge, he has set up for us what biblical justice is. Um, And do you want me to talk about that here? Yeah, listen, listen, before you talk about it, I want to give a, a quote by Tim Keller in his article. He makes this statement. He says, many younger Christians recognizing this failure of the church and wanting to rectify things are taking up one or another of the secular approaches to justice, which introduces distortions into their practice and lives. I think he hit the nail on the head yeah. in that statement. That is, yeah. That's exactly right, because that's kind of what I was highlighting. And so, Morgan, how do we... What is biblical biblical justice? justice? But then kind of how do we even propagate biblical justice? We need to understand what it is before we can answer that. Okay, so when we're talking about biblical justice, there are really two types of justice that we see in Scripture. And, of course, Scripture is where we go for our foundation for truth because that's what the Lord has given to us. And I pulled these definitions um, from Relevant Magazine. They have an article very simply titled, What is Biblical Justice? So thank you, Relevant Magazine. Um, And so the first one is called mishpat. This is a Hebrew word that means acquitting or punishing every person on the merits of the case, regardless of race or social status and anyone who does the same wrong should be given the same penalty. So mishpat is this rectifying justice where you do wrong and you receive the equal punishment It'd be for like it. the Old Testament, the eye for an eye. Kind of a ju- exactly. judgment like, idea. Yes, so this is, think like judgment justice. You do wrong, yeah. you get punished. And zadikah is another Hebrew word. This is um, the right, think of this as righteous justice. This refers to day-to-day living in which a person conducts all relationships in family and in society with fairness, generosity, and equity. And I have to read this quote because it just shows how these weave together. Um, They say that rectifying justice is mishpat. It means punishing wrongdoers and caring for the victims and caring for the victims of unjust treatment. Primary justice, or zadikah, is behavior that, if it was prevalent in the world, would render rectifying justice unnecessary because everyone would be living in right relationship to everyone else. Therefore, though zadikah is primarily about being in in right relationship with God, the righteous life that results is profoundly social. So God has given us this standard of, like, proactive justice yeah right yeah this behavior and advocating for yes doing something but you know in recognition of our sin nature and the sin that we deal with in the world he does give mishpat the rectifying justice where wrong must be punished right but you know with the leading that everyone is striving for this zadikah, this righteous living of generosity and equity. Yeah, and I think Matt Chandler, going back to the video that he said, he really also hit it on the nail on the head when he said, you know, we do live in a Genesis 3 world, Mm -hmm. you know? So when you see movements that are trying to advocate for a good thing, but they're doing it in a wrong way, or there's, you know, there's light that comes from an organization that it's trying to achieve something, but there's there's kind of that dark ideology that Mm -hmm. you can't agree with. He's like, you know, it's it's that understanding of, 
entering into that world with people and being willing to empathize and to connect. And I think, you know, Tim Keller in his, in his article, I'm going to read two things here uh, because I think Tim Keller summarizes it way better than we could. And he, um, he gives a critique of postmodern power, which is one of the ideologies that is behind critical race theory. It's this idea he quotes that just a just society subverts the power of dominant groups in favor of the oppressed. So it's it's that ideology, that postmodern power ideology that uh, really is at the heart of Black Lives Matter organization. I mean, it's that ideology. And he says, you know what, that 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 whole worldview, that whole thing falls incredibly short for two things. He says the first is that it is deeply incoherent. And he makes the statement, I thought it was so good. He says, if all truth claims and justice agendas are socially constructed to maintain power, then why aren't the claims and the agendas of the adherents of this view subject to the same critique? Mm-hmm. Why are the postmodern justice advocates' claims that this is oppression un- unquestionably morally right while all the other moral claims are mere social constructs. And if everyone is blinded by class consciousness and social location, then why aren't they? Mm-hmm. And he goes on to show the problems with intersectionality. He says, he, he, he talks about that, uh, he says, intersectionality claims oppressed people see things clearly. But why would they, if social forces make us holy, that we are and control how we understand reality? Are they less formed by social forces than others? And if all people with power who call the shot socially, culturally, economically, and control public discourse inevitably use it for domination, then if any revolutionaries were able to replace the oppressors at the top of society, why would they not become the people that they should subsequently be rebelled against and replace themselves? So it's a little, it's a little heavy to think about that. But what he's showing is, wait, it's, it's, it's incoherent. You can't, that, that, that ultimately doesn't add up. And then more than that, it's completely simplistic. It's, it's too simplistic. It, 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 it assumes that the problems in society are simply because we as human beings are just blank slates. We're morally good. And mm-hmm. it completely throws out Genesis 3 that as mankind, we are sinful. Like it rejects that c- completely. Yeah. We want a whole lot of mishpat without any Zedekah, right? Exactly. We want to have rectification for our issues, our problems, without us having to change our lives and our standard of morality. Yeah. And that's where our culture is. Our culture says we want every problem rectified now, and I do not want to change anything about myself. Mm -hmm. And the Bible, the gospel confronts us and says, hey, those things need to be rectified. (laughs) <laughs> the gospel is clear about that. The a lot we, and we've said that over the past two episodes. In no way are we saying that there is no wrong or no fault that any of these groups have brought out. We we would not say that. Um, however, They're bringing to light a very they real are. Thing. Mm-hmm. However, the gospel affirms that, but then it also says you need to change as well yeah. individually. Mm-hmm. You need to have a righteousness and a morality change. And the only way that that happens is when Jesus changes your life completely. And I think circling back to your your question before we got into biblical justice, Stephen, is like that's where it starts, the responsibility of a Christian to do justice. It starts, you know, well, the, the Lord has to transform your heart first mm. before any, 
you can start to pursue a a true righteous and holy justice because you without that understanding that the lord is the one who gives the authority and he is the one who is the true pursuer of justice and he's the one who created it um it's it's extremely difficult and it's it's you can't find a coherent way to pursue it mm-hmm. other than with the lord at the center of it and you know um vengeance is the lord's he will repay there are lots of things that won't be rectified until the end but that doesn't mean he left us without responsibility yeah, that's right. to that's stand good. for exactly. the, the the justice proper justice in our systems that exactly. we have in our country as in every country that's why they have yeah. human rights councils mm-hmm. yeah. you know he doesn't he doesn't just say he doesn't say like don't avenge yourselves because he wants to take away our responsibility to pursue what is right. He says, no, pursue what is right, do justice. And that is that mishpat, not only punishing wrongdoers, but I love the second part where it says caring for the victims of unjust treatment. Not only do we have to punish wrong, but we have to, we have to do our part to pick up the pieces of what the wrongdoer did to their victims. And, and it, it, I think too, it's, it's mishpat within the bounds of scripture. Yes. So if I am trying to seek rectification and I have to violate scripture in order to do it. Morality. God's standard of morality. I am wrong. You're wrong. I cannot violate God's standard of morality in order to rectify this this wrong, this immorality. I can't violate morality in order to do it because God says Mm -hmm. that's wrong. You're doing wrong in order to do right, and that's still wrong. You need to do right in a just and right way. Yeah. yeah. Morgan, that was so good, the way you summarized that. And I think let's, let's kind of just segue here and kind of begin to wrap up. And I think the question that we then ask is then, so, you know, hearing everything that we talked about today, you know, we affirm the statement Black Lives Matter. And yet behind the statement is an organization of a movement that uh, that that some take issue with because of um, it ultimately fails to achieve true real justice. Yeah. It, it falls incredibly short um, because because these issues matter far more than what society and I think even Black Lives Matter is willing to admit. But we have this responsibility as followers of Christ that God is the righteous judge and that in him he is the author of life and so meaning and purpose and all of those things come from him we we as image bearers of him and and as Christians like we have a responsibility as Micah says to do justice so i think my question as we kind of wrap up today would be what are some of the practical ways what are the ways that we can pursue justice and get behind uh, this movement of seeing change happen as a Christian while at the same time advocating for a real true justice. So what are some of those what are those, some of those really practical things as people kind of turn off the podcast today? How, how do they walk away from this with some real hands and feet things? I think one of the first and foremost most important things for anyone who's listening, no matter what a, you know, view you subscribe to on this issue is you have to learn to learn well first you have to learn the situation you've got to learn what other people are experiencing you have to get outside of just your own little thought bubble which can be really difficult especially when it's so messy on the internet (laughs) but i would encourage speaking you know face to face and and 
confronting issues face to face you know and and expand your friend group talk to people yeah. you don't normally talk to don't don't do not go into an echo chamber where human only, nature mm-hmm. is that though. that's similarity seeking that is we we tend to identify and seek out and be with people that are most like us right and the problem with that is that you fail to enter into conversations with people that have really experienced things far differently yes than you have and and sometimes you might say something but you have you have no clue what you're saying, and it comes you, out ignorant. It does because you ignorant, just don't yeah. know. And so learn other people's experiences, but also learn what God says is just for the Christian. This is the crux of the issue. In order to pursue justice, you have to know what God is talking about. You must know what He says and and how He talks about defending life and and punishing wrong and seeking what is just. Because that's complex. I mean, I think oh, that would so be a study in of itself too. Go to the Bible and learn what does the Bible say is real justice. Yeah. 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 I think I have three takeaways. Um, You are done, right? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I think I have three takeaways as far as how a Christian can uh, practically uh, follow after um, what is right and justice in our day. I think the first thing is to stand strong for biblical truth. Uh, Do justice. Uh, this is what the Lord requires of you, Micah 6, 8. This is what is good. He's told you, um, do justice, um, stand for what's right. Uh, don't back down. (laughs) Um, no matter who's with you or against you, if God's word says it, stand for what is right. If there is an oppressed group, stand with them, stand for them. Mm -hmm. Um, don't back down from that just because somebody, um, makes fun of you or persecutes you, you're feeling what they feel on a very, very minute level. Um, mm-hmm. Get over it and stand with the oppressed, you know? And you can stand, stand for, for them. You can stand for what is right without becoming a persecutor of somebody you can. else. And you can also stand for what is right without standing f- with certain movements that are going after a similar goal but are doing it in a wrong way. And uh, so stand for biblical truth. Secondly, I, w- I would say um, live kindly. Um, live kindly. That's Micah 6, 8. Do justice, love kindness. Um, but we have a whole lot of people who want justice, but a lot of people who don't love kindness right now mm. in our country and, um, disagree well, get with people, be kind, learn how to love well, love on people that you disagree with, treat them with respect. Um, that, that's a, that's a very biblical concept. And then thirdly, just very quickly, I think it's, um, learning to submit my life to scripture, uh, walk humbly with your God. Mm -hmm. He's told you what to do. You have his word in front of you and that's his will. So now you have to submit to his word, but I don't like it. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, (laughs) that's still what it means to follow Christ. And so I think that that'd be three practical takeaways for me. If I'm trying to achieve justice and fight, uh, for justice in these days and stand strong, those would be the three practical takeaways for me and if i can add one last one to that um in submitting yourself to to christ's authority and his word um sometimes it it can seem like this massive task that we have to rise to but really um it's so much more about submitting in each moment of every day if you can break your abiding and your submitting to christ and his authority and under his love moment by moment it becomes so much easier to renew your mind with the mind of christ and you know, of course, not every second you're going to be conscious of it, but when you can continually just abide in him, that humility that you need in order to love kindness and yeah. to walk humbly, it will, it will come because he, he promises to, to do that. 
Yeah, and I think God calls his redeemed people to be agents of righteousness. And in doing that, it's like what you were saying, Morgan. It's 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 broadening it's broadening your your understanding to to talk to other people that did have very different experiences than your own and to enter into real conversation where you can empathize and lament with them mm-hmm. and want to actually do something. I mean, to actually get involved. You know, we all have so many of these things. I mean, Black Lives Matter in of itself is a grassroots movement. And you think about it as a church, like like so much of the things uh, that churches could do in their local communities mm-hmm. in the people that are around where their church is located. Uh, you know, sometimes we, we want to just advocate for the whole movement, but yet we're unwilling to lift a finger to how could we engage in that. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's just like practically, like what are the things within your county or your city and what are what are some of the even laws that like n- could be looked at or might need to be adjusted or what are some of the social justice reforms that you mm-hmm. could advocate for within your own locality. Um, and, uh, and I think part of it also is learning like this, the history of, of America, like where, where do we come from? And also learning about what the Bible says about justice. Like, Mm -hmm. because I think when you understand what God says about justice and now what the gospel compels us to do, it, 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 it motivates us. It, it, it compels us to act. And so, uh, well, listen, this has been a great conversation and we hope that you have benefited uh, from it today. And uh, we hope that this has sparked some things for you to think about, for you to just engage with. And, and, you know, you have your own circle of friends and people that you know. And uh, so if you're a Christian today, we we pray that you would be an agent of of justice uh, in these things. And that rather than just living in a soundbite world, uh, you'd be willing to really enter into conversation and action uh, and to see some real gospel change uh, happen in our nation today. Well, thanks for being with us. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Where We Land, Christ, Culture, and the Church. Hey, listen, if there's anything we talked about on the show today that you would like to know more about, we would love to hear from you. So send us your thoughts, questions, and feedback by sending us an email at podcast at whereweland.org. You can also find us on social media, and we'd love to engage with you there as well. We'll see you next time.